Hey guys, this is Rob and welcome to question number 17. What has your pain gotten you? It's my interview with Dave Deal. Oh man, I'm just now realizing that I might be pronouncing his last name wrong. Dave, I'm so sorry. That gives me anxiety. That I'd pronounce his name. <laughs> yes, I hate that. I know, me too. Oh, amateur hour. Um, just Dave. Dave. What the heck? Schneider. Oh my gosh. Here, just let him in. What's your problem? Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. <laughs> Monday the 21st, Solar Eclipse Day. We're recording this to be released tomorrow, which is... Today's a Monday. That means tomorrow is... Toots Day. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I am joined, as always, by my wife... What am I today? Cat Whisperer. Hi, buddy. What's wrong? Okay. (laughs) We're joined uh, by our third guest, Strider, who is sitting with us at the table. Strider, do you want to say anything? Move along, child. Pour me a beer, Sonny. What is this we're drinking today? Today we are drinking Guinness Rye Pale Ale. Mm. You know, if I had to describe this beer, I would describe it as an aromatic amber ale. 5% alcohol, a product of Ireland, and brewed with rye malt and the famous Guinness yeast strain. Ooh. Sarah is sitting, (laughs) drinking this Guinness (laughs) Ale out of a massive pewter mug that she found at a thrift store this last week. Silver tapers slightly inward at the top. Beautiful scrolling on the handle. Beautiful scrolling on the handle and a glass bottom. Mm -hmm. I think this is a great beer. Yeah, I do too. It's malty. It's not super hoppy. Has that classic Guinness yeasty taste. Oh, yeasty. I thought for being a pale ale it would be hoppier, but it has definitely more of an amber profile. Yeah, that's awesome. Dig it. Okay. Let's jump into this. For those of you who have been listening and following along with this podcast, you know that... I'm not mentally prepared for this. I know. No! For those no! of you... No! <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you that have been following the podcast, you know that every week we ask Sarah a question, and those questions come from you, and they are left on the iTunes podcast app. Pull up. Rob Morgan is a curious person. I can't, I'm explaining how to listen to this podcast on iTunes while people are most likely yeah, that's dumb. listening to this. Anyways, on iTunes, rate, comment, subscribe, leave a comment, and in your comment, ask Sarah a question. And if you're lucky, it could be asked on this podcast. Today's question comes from Chris Hallblade. She says, Rob Morgan is the Oprah Winfrey of podcasts. Holy crap. That's possibly the greatest compliment someone could ever give me. Oprah Winfrey is... The queen of questions. (sighs) 
I got distracted thinking of Oprah. Okay, anyways, Rob Morgan is the Oprah Winfrey of podcasts. Great in-depth conversations that are sorely missing from our social media-driven culture. I could not agree more. Speaking of Oprah, if you could interview her for your podcast, what is the one question that you would ask her? Sarah, if you could ask Oprah Winfrey one question. Okay. Well, I should probably say something serious here, so. It doesn't have to be serious. No, I think a good question that I would ask her would be what is one word of advice that you would give to someone who's, let's say, 22, right out of college? Okay. Why? You're not 22 right out of college. No. No. What would you ask Oprah? What are you curious about? What would you want to know from her? I'd like to know what her favorite recipe is. What are your favorite recipes? What do you serve at Christmas time? Why food? Because I like food and I'm hungry right now. So that has nothing to do with Oprah. A little. So that is that's Sarah's answer. Or should ask Oprah for recipes. <laughs> um, I think another question that I could ask her would be: I think it'd be interesting to hear her thoughts, being a woman, a successful woman in a male-driven world. That sounds like a song or something, but because I mean, she's been around for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, her TV show's been on since I don't even know the '80s, probably. Early 80s time. even. Um, so what it's like to to be in a male-driven world and be successful. And I think probably what I would want to know what some of the struggles are. Yeah. Being a woman. it's Sometimes it's more of a struggle to be successful than not. Especially when more eyes are on you. Because people want to bring each other down. So when you're successful, people try to pick you apart more to find your flaws. Well, you're not successful. It's already obvious you're not successful. There's nothing to pick apart. It's already just out there. But that would be a question I would ask Oprah that would be interesting. Hmm. Good. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Like recipes for Thanksgiving, <laughs> recipes for Easter. I'm thinking of <laughs> if I were to be hanging out with Oprah, not sitting down for an interview. Have you ever listened to Making Oprah? It's a podcast. Mm, no, I've heard about it though. It's so awesome. I, it's like a, just a few episodes. It's not very long, but it is fascinating. Like you talk about what's it like to be a woman in a male-driven society. She talks about that. They talk about that. It goes through the whole scope of Oprah becoming Oprah. Mm. And it is awesome. I highly recommend it. Making Oprah podcast. You just mentioned that you just ask her about recipes as a person. And I actually like that about you. Because I feel like you have a good mindset from the celebrity interactions that... I've seen you have with people that other people would find famous that we have run into maybe because of music or whatever it is. You are really good at talking to people like they're just normal people. You treat everybody the same. Mm -hmm. And I really like that about you. Thank you. Before we get into the interview, announcement for those of you that haven't seen on social media, we have released this week another way to make this podcast your podcast. For you to be a part of this podcast and make it on here. We have released... Rob Morgan is a curious person, the official podcast hotline. I feel like it needs a sound effect here. A James Bond sound effect. I'm not sure why. Or like a love hotline from the 80s kind of. Oh, okay. Elevator music. Well, there's there's this random button on my recorder here, and I wonder if I press it. says um, sound effects. Mm, try that. I'll press that and see what that sounds like. Welcome back to the best of Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, clinical psychologist and the friend you never had. Sleepless in Seattle. Well, I'm, I'm going to get out of bed every morning. Breathe in and out all, all day. 
very long. And then after a while, I won't have to remind myself to get out of bed in the morning and breathe in and out. Hello. Hello. Who's there? I'm talking. Hello. Who is this? You know what this is. This is Jason Bourne. Ghostbusters, what do you want? Is this a fake hang-up? It's a fake hang-up. Oh, all right. I guess that's our sound effect. That's what you get. I feel like a hotline is a very 90s thing to do. Call the hotline. Uh, Kind of like uh, when Harry met Sally? No. Sleepless in Seattle. It's like a love hotline. Oh, yeah. That's such a good movie. You can't call in. We're not going to talk. This isn't live on the the air. But this is a... If people have ideas or... Uh, guest recommendations or who you'd like to hear from, this would be an awesome opportunity for you to call in, leave a message, a question, a comment. It could be a question for Sarah to be read on the show. Whatever it is, call the hotline. I was really honestly hoping for a Rick roll. (laughs) Uh, This is Kira Thornton calling from Dallas, Texas. And curiosity got the better of me very quickly. Adios. You can also text the word curious to this number and you will receive every Tuesday, maybe some behind the scenes photos. We haven't really looked that far out, but maybe a photo of some behind the scenes information of the interview with the guest. Uh, We're going to do some exclusive hotline giveaways. You're not going to be bombarded with text messages only things that I think you would find valuable or just make this fun and interactive. So the number is 612-584-9330. Feel free to leave a comment or question for Sarah. And as always, the first questions that are going to get pulled from for Sarah are always on the iTunes podcast. The iTunes comment. The iTunes. <laughs> I can't even talk right now. The iTunes podcast comment section. Let's get into my conversation with Dave. Before we get into it, I want to say how this conversation came up and is based on a belief that I have. And here's my belief. You and I were talking about this belief before we started recording. How would you define it? Just the belief that getting to know people's stories opens up your eyes to the world. Yes. That sounds like really sappy, but when you get to know people for people's sake, no one is, is strange or scary because people are just people. Yeah. I th- have a firm belief that I can learn, that we all can learn, but I speak for myself as always, that I can learn anything from anyone. Everybody has something to teach us. In the world of Google and where all the answers are out there, I feel like it is more important than ever to ask questions, to have a genuine sense of curiosity about somebody else, where they've been, where what they're going through in their life, uh, their story, what they've learned. I just, I don't know. I feel like it's all about shouting statements lately. And I have just not interacted with a ton of people that whose main focus is to ask questions and understand first and then be understood. Mm-hmm. So with that, when I started this podcast, I put a few feelers out because one of the things I wanted to start doing, and I knew this right off the bat when I started, I wanted to sit down over beers with people that I had never met before people that I had not come in contact with. We don't run in the same social circles. Uh, So I have a few people out there whose opinions I trust who have set me up. What are you smiling at me for? Do I sound like an idiot? No, it sounds like you're a spy. You've got got contacts. I got contacts. Contacts on the ground. Yeah, it's... No, but I get it. 
Yeah, I want the only the only way to do this and to have it pu- truly be somebody that I would not naturally uh, run into without introduction is this way. Uh, so my buddy introduced me to Dave via email. All I got was his email address, and I, the only thing I was told was this. Dave is one of the most interesting people you will ever meet. He's one of the smartest humans you'll ever sit down with. And do not ask him what he does for a living. Hmm. He can't tell you. Intrigue. Intrigue. (laughs) Strider's freaked out. Sorry, buddy. He hates it. No, Strider hates that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, instantly with that recommendation, I said, yep. I need to sit down with Dave. So we met up at Fulton Brewing Tap Room in Northeast Minneapolis. I sat down with Dave and had one of my favorite conversations so far. Dave is fascinating. I kind of want to put a disclaimer out there. Sitting down, my disclaimer for Dave is sitting down with Dave is like sitting down with a mental superhero. I feel like the only reason we were able to have a conversation is because he was willing to meet me on my mental level. And I mean that in ways of him using normal words for him. I ended up, I was sitting, um, just nodding and then uh, making it a little nodding and then maybe like a few seconds later. Okay. Yep. Now I I know what you're talking about. Uh, I know what that word means now only because of relation to other words, right? Using in the sentence. (laughs) I'm an idiot. You just ain't good with words. I ain't good with all the words, which is funny that I would decide to do something like a podcast that only uses uses words. Well, your biggest weakness is spelling. So this is great because you're not spelling. Yeah, this is perfect. So that said, I just had an awesome conversation with Dave. So here's where I'm going to drop you into the conversation. At this point in the conversation, Dave and I are talking about technology, art, and career. No matter what you do for a living, technology and expertise in your field have become, I don't know how I want go to say hand that. Go hand in hand? They go hand in hand. The fact that technology and uh, accessibility to things nowadays, I mean, even the fact of, okay, I, th- I think my situation of being a musician, every, back in the day, you'd have to rent a recording studio, someone would have to own all the gear, they'd have to have the experience of how to run all this gear if you were gonna, going to record anything. Nowadays, anybody with an iPhone or a garage band on your Mac can record an album. I mean, everybody, think about all, think about people doing photography nowadays. It's so much more accessible. Everybody has an iPhone. It doesn't mean everybody's a great photographer, but it means there's a certain level of uh, expertise that everybody can jump to right off the mm, bat. And yes. so in this part of the conversation, and I think that goes with everything. If you're a director, everybody's got a camera and iMovie. We live in this world where we're creating something and doing things is far more accessible to the masses than ever. So this part of the conversation we're going to jump into, Dave and I are talking about how that impacts professionals and his belief that the world is just completely oversaturated with mediocre art. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that that means it's oversaturated with art and there's no room for them. But his thought is it means now more than ever that there's a need for good art, for pushing the boundaries of your field and always moving forward. There's always, there's a need for that now. So here we go. This is my conversation with Dave at Fulton Brewing in the North Loop, Minneapolis. Tell us to dig it. Dig it. More extreme. Dig it. Yell. It hurts my throat. Okay.
I was, th- I was oddly enough, I was talking about that this morning with my hairdresser. Yes. That like, as your tools get better, yeah. it like it doesn't for someone actually trying to do the best work. Yeah. All it does is make it easier and make it m- give you more room to focus on, like the high end. And and so in one level, you're right. Like it takes off the table people who all they were bringing to the table was technical competence, mm-hmm. because the technical competence gets moved down into the equipment. Um, Interesting. You know, so the like, trade, like the right, trade part, the right, craft of that. Right. right. When I was in college okay. and I was learning to cook, yeah. like I was cooking on, you know, super thin, cheap cookware that yeah. I could afford as a college student, and I learned to do serious sauce technique on that, and I learned to cook fairly complex stuff on that. But it yeah. took immense attention and a lot of practice and a lot of skill. Yes. And when I got older and I had a real job <laughs> and I bought my first like high-end cookware, it wasn't that I could do anything I couldn't do before. It's that it was now easy. And that said. You know, it's also a different comparison I would make is when I was a kid, I wanted a calculator and my dad wouldn't let me get a calculator. My, my dad, my parents wouldn't let me get a calculator until I could do it all by hand. Mm-hmm. And the logic was like, sure, use this tool, use this tool, but not until you understand what it's doing. Yes. Um, and even in fields like I see that, I see that progression in fields I've come up in the progression with naturally. And it made me realize like for things where that progression happened before I was born or a hundred years mm-hmm. before I was mm-hmm. born or a thousand years before I was born, like going back to the fundamentals teaches you things that you wouldn't learn any other way. You wouldn't, and, you're not going to stumble across it. Right, right. And yeah. so in one sense, the challenge it makes, the, th- the thing it does for the artist is that there's stuff you might have learned about developing technique mm-hmm. that you learn naturally when you had to focus on the technical skills, that if yeah. the technical skills are moved into the hardware for you, you have to go do the work to dig to learn it instead. And on the other hand, there's a set of things you can only develop when you've got the technique that you can start on that early and so it changes the balance like in the end great art is all about like passionate attention and doing the work to to understand how something comes together to understand what builds an idea what builds an experience yes and it just like reshuffles where that attention is going to go in yes oh that is so interesting and it lets more people make mediocre art okay but like so there's more like abundance it democratizes mediocre art Someone doing great art doesn't really need to be all that worried about that. Yeah. And I say that, I mean, I look at that as an engineer. Like, I, like, modern, modern coding environments are way, way easier to use, way, way easier to develop in quickly. And, like, when I see kids these days, I mean, I'm only, you know, I'm not all that old, but when I say kids these days, like, and I, when I work with college students, some of them are so used to these environments that make it incredibly fast to test and develop and to work at ideas at a very high level. And they can develop some things quickly that would have taken immense effort and skill or been impossible to build back in the day for me. And yet, all that means is that like my differential advantage as a very experienced deep engineer is in building complex things, in building things that we haven't learned how to make easy, in building things that still aren't easy with that tool. And like in the end, cool. I'm delighted with all the shit they can bring into the world. And I don't mean shit (laughs) negatively. I'm delighted with all the stuff they can bring into the world with those tools. And nonetheless, I still have, like, I still have my work cut out for me. Yes. Because, like, the hard, it's not like there's a shortage of hard problems for people who want to do the hard work. And if we can make the easy problems easy and let more people do them, yay. And it's only the people that don't, (laughs) man, that's such, there's such confidence that comes in that. Yeah. Because the confidence, well, that's great. I still have my work Mm -hmm. that is at another level that there's still not a lot of people doing that. Well, and I mean, I say that I conversely, I had a team I was managing years ago that was very, very Minnesotan. 
And, and part of what I mean by that is they had immense loyalty, incredibly low turnover. You know, people think of the tech industry often as, you know, people are two years at this job, two years at that job. And most of the people had been there for a decade or more. Okay. You know, people had been there, uh, some people had been there from when it was a division of Honeywell and then got spun out as a research company and then turned into a commercial company <laughs> yes. and so on. You know. And that, that company got bought by McAfee. And okay. I struggled to go around and tell these people, like, look, you have to understand, you're in a different world now. This like, isn't just this something you can... This company doesn't have the, the loyalty to you. You know, you had a manager yeah. who, for better or worse, he wanted you to keep your job. Yeah. And, like, this company doesn't give a shit now. Yeah. Like, even if your manager is telling you they do, what they mean is, I want, to I want to help you to develop into the person the company naturally wants to keep for their own business interests. Yes. Like, that's, that's the actual sentence when they say, like, I'm interested in your career. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of people who, on that team talented people, smart people, but they had skill sets that were built around the way things worked 10 or 20 years ago, and their mental model was, cool, I can focus on the rest of my life, I'm just going to do this until I retire. Yes. And there, like, there used to be more jobs like that, there used to be more fields like that. Like, any artist can tell you, idea work has never been like that. Yeah. And for a lot of engineers, like, the, the, the parallels between art and software engineering are overplayed. Yes. Um, for a lot of reasons, yeah. but there's there's parts of them that are true, mm -hmm. and that's one of those parts. Like, if you want to say, like, "Hey, I'm I I you know I built my band when I was in high school, and I want to play the same music. I want to retire playing the same yeah. music I played when I was in high school." Good fucking luck. Yeah, like, <laughs> totally. If you have to reinvent yourself, <laughs> yeah, every year or whatever it yeah. is, you have to stay on top of your game and keep doing stuff. And and I oh. watched some people who rolled with it, and I watched some people. I mean. I actually felt kind of bad when I people who ended up getting laid off, who years later I'd run into uh -huh. someone's retirement party or something, like, hey, thanks. I wasn't listening when you tried to tell me, <laughs> yeah. but when shit happened, I at least had some idea what it was. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> uh, okay, so what, what side of the coin are you coming from? Are you coming from someone who... Uh, like learn the hard way, or you oh, have no, you always I'm, been proactive and like stayed on top of your game? I'm I'm coming from a whole different I'm coming from a whole different coin because I haven't done I <laughs> do, do anything the straightforward way. I love um, that. I, I love that. I came into this whole field sideways. Yeah. Um, and I never attempted to be. I've I've never been, and I've never attempted to be the guy who people like go out looking for in the sense of I need a guy who can do these three things like HR find me that person yes you know I'm I'm not the person who's I mean to 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 translate it like I'm not like hey I need a rock drummer who can play in these styles like give me yes. someone who knows how to do that and I can just drop into the I can just drop into my mm -hmm. quartet mm -hmm. you know tomorrow I'm and in one sense like that's the studio musician and like the yeah. equivalent of that, like most software engineers are trying to be studio musicians. Okay. The studio musician isn't like whatever you need. I'm okay. a drummer. Like, yeah. If okay, you need yeah. a trumpeter, don't call me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, if you need an enterprise database specialist, don't call me. Yeah. But there's like, I know a guy I've yeah. worked with before. He was yeah. great. Yeah. You know, just like, okay. just like your studio drummer might yeah. say, oh yeah, you need a bassist. Hang on. I'll make a call. I'm the guy who's out there like doing art yes. and like either I'm going to have a lot of jobs or I'm going to have no jobs. Like either <laughs> yeah. my, either my prospects are going to be great because people like whatever, whatever you're on, I yes. like it. Yes. Or they're going to be like, whatever you're on, stay over there with the homeless people, please. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and part of it oh, has that's, been that's such a great analogy, yeah. learning how to do that, learning how to do that in a business environment and how mm -hmm. to reason about that. I mean, it's the kind of thing where when people are young, you know, when people are young, they think, 
art's just about art. And when people are young, they think, you know, being an engineer is just about being good at good at the technical skills of engineering or whatever else. Yeah. Like, as you grow older, you realize you have to figure out how you're going to interface with the world. And okay. again, if I were going to spin it around, most engineers, like, learn that in a cynical way, in the way, like, kind of like you get people who went to art school thinking they wanted to paint and they end up doing advertising. Yeah. Um, you know, I think musicians is a little trickier. There's a smaller tier of jobs that are they're sort of the, like, okay, I'm not going to do the thing I really wanted to do, but I'm going to make my living with music. Yeah. More musicians sort of end up doing something different. Yes. But, like, a lot of engineers end up with, like, a sort of cynical or half-built they either become a studio musician or they end up with kind of a half-built, cynical model of the world doesn't really appreciate what I do. Yeah. Rather than, like, if you find anyone successful, they figured out how to say, okay, here's what the world needs, here's what I need, here's the contribution I want to make, and I have to negotiate that whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's different in different fields, yeah. but that maturity to interact with what the world wants out of you and what the world's willing to reward without just bowing down to it and letting your own your mind... Yes. Like, uh, have you always been good at like finding that medium then? Like, um, oh God. that balancing act? Oh God, no. Like I, cause that's in, hard for me. It's hard for um, everyone. And honestly, I, um, it makes me self-conscious to say it, but in this kind of context, but I'm, I, I know I'm unusually talented or gifted in some ways and kind of, you know, you come into the life with, with, pluses and minuses with, you know, things yeah. you're upbringing or your genetics have made easier or hard oh, yeah. for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, both of us have like the white card and the dude card that make a lot of situations <laughs> easier. Totally. Um, and it doesn't mean they make everything automatic and there's plenty of white dudes yeah. who are suffering and whatever. Yeah. But like, seriously, it's like, it's an easy button for yeah. many, many situations. Oh yeah, for um, sure. And the, you know, for me, one of those easy buttons is for whatever mix of genetics and upbringing, and some of it I'm incredibly grateful to the hard work my family put in to giving me opportunities when I was young. Yeah. Um, I am one of the, I mean, I'm one of those people who can go into a lot of intellectual things and get further faster than most people. And I think in one way, I, I got lucky. I got lucky backwards. Like, normally, if you looked at someone and they had unusual mathematical gifts or whatever, lucky would be, and I was lucky to grow up in a school system that had a lot of advanced math classes. Yes. I was lucky to grow up where, where there were lots of people to teach me. Yeah. I grew up on a farm in the sticks. And I was, I was a young math prodigy who grew up on a farm in the sticks. And what that meant was I got used to teaching myself. I got used to not having the resources around me. Yes. I got used to being so far ahead of the people around me that they were useless to guide myself with. You, it was before like YouTube and Google where you could oh, just yeah. pull no, up the answer it was real before, quick. It was I mean, it's not just before the internet. It's before, mm. I mean, in one sense it is, the internet started before I was born if yeah. you go to the research layer. Yeah. But I mean, I was actually on the committee that brought the internet to Minnesota. So it was before the internet in that sense. Um, the, That's um, awesome. That's so and, badass. Um, it's weird. I get embarrassed by accomplishments. I, I was raised, I still struggle with this. It, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm 47. I still struggle with this because I was raised not to brag. And on the other hand, there's stuff that if I just say about myself, I'm bragging, even though it's true. But I, um, yeah, sorry. I get just, I get thrown whenever I have to say that kind of stuff. Oh man. Um, well, I'm the same way. Like I the, the you're like raised. I don't know if it, you feel like those a parents thing where it's just this uh, like never never brag, always be ultra humble. If someone if someone compliments you, never take a compliment, well, like play it, it off. It was that, but it was also it was actually them it was a very helpful reaction they had because when I was young 
and I was super bright. It was really easy to be arrogant. It was really easy to brag. I mean, when you're okay. eight and 10 and you're having these accomplishments, you don't have the tools to do anything better with. Yeah. And so, and because I was having that stuff young, like I needed a lot of coaching of don't be arrogant, don't talk oh, down cool. to people, don't do so this. So it was a positive thing. Right. So it was, on the yeah. one hand it was positive, but it left a mark. The values that, like some of those choices I can look at and I suffered for them because there were side effects they didn't know how to predict or whatever else, but like the values they chose them from, the long-term effects they chose them yeah. for, both like I admire the wisdom of their choices and I am incredibly grateful for how hard they worked. If I, if I am someone who's systematically been an iconoclast in my life, yeah. it's because I was I like learned you can build the superstructure around yourself, and I learned it from my parents building it for me. That's cool. I love that. Um, I love that. I do, like almost the benefit of the doubt. Like even though okay, some things they, they didn't know, but the yeah. benefit of the doubt is because that they cared. I mean, this is this is because yeah. you're hearing me now. In yeah, my twenties, it would have all been, oh, my parents gave me this messiah complex, and and, and one a core example that would yeah. relate to this is. Like, I never got praise for getting an A because they knew that most of those A's were easy for me. Then mm. I could do most of them in my sleep. Okay. And so they didn't want me to think, like, just because, you know, it was sort of like, you're big and strong, so the fact that you listed, lifted the 30-pound weight shouldn't get you the same praise as it got, you know, the little girl, you know, the little girl who, you know, also has a spinal deformity. Like, it's an accomplishment for yes. her. Yeah. And you just woke up in the morning and got yourself out of bed and you can do that. So you don't get full credit. What are and you going to do that's, that's, oh, And that was a cool. super true thing. Yeah. And so that was important. Yeah. And similarly, my family's take was you don't do things for yourself. You do things because they're the right thing to do. You do things for the good of the world, yeah. for the good of society. And so, like, oh, cool. you know, it was kind of like, what have you done with what you've been given? Like, don't tell me, look how strong I am. Yeah. Tell me, look what I put my back into. Yes. Um, and that was incredibly valuable, but it also meant that when you had the kind of talents I had, and then they were so effectively nurtured as they were yeah. by my family, that I hit college with no idea where my limits were and with an idea that if I didn't know it meant I needed to save the entire world or I was a failure. <laughs> yes, and totally. that's like, that's not a healthy place to be, <laughs> but it was a side effect of things they were doing that were of values I deeply endorse, yeah. of ways they were trying to not let me become a stuck up entitled little asshole yeah. that would have been so easy for me to be. <laughs> totally. Um, and so like, yeah, it gave me some challenges in my late teens and my early twenties, okay. but like it also, it also turned me into, you know, it, it was the right tools to take any person with any set of capabilities and make them hold themselves accountable to try to do something worthwhile in the world. Yeah, that's cool. Um, anyways, that that background yeah. is kind of why I'm not on either side of that coin you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Because I'm the guy, I'm more like, I don't know. I, You're I, seeing a bigger things, picture, it sounds well, like. All the things I think of to say sound really arrogant, yeah. but I'm more the guy who's like, Huh, coins. Should we use that on paper money? Should we make new coins? Mm -hmm. Like, I, there are a lot of stories I can tell about my life that I can yeah. tell in several different ways. Yeah. And some of them, like, I can tell a story about certain situations that make me sound like a courageous, far vi you know, yeah. visionary hero. Yeah. And there's also a story in which I'm an, a fool. Yeah. And they're both true. Yes, and they're both um, true. And, and they're, they're just maybe like the different perspective. Yeah. And, and it's sort of the flip side here is that, like, yeah. There's a way in which there's a real courage in how I lived and how I thought in my 20s yeah. where I didn't focus on, you know, is this going to be a thing folks are ready for? Is yeah. this going to be a thing um, that I know what to do with? It was yeah. more like, what is the idea that I really believe here? What is something I, what is a, a truth to pursue here? Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, that partly came from like 
one of the bad side effects of the way I'd worked was I was so used to being out ahead of things that I had really come to, it took me a long time to learn why you had mentors, why people had been there before could guide you, because I had to get to, because I couldn't recognize the basic life mentoring people were giving me because my experience was so unusual. And it took me years to find where my experience was usual and where the advice that worked for other people also worked for me because I had so many unique challenges to work through to get to the normal challenges. Um, and then I could be like, oh, this is all the good advice people gave me when I was young that I didn't even recognize. Yes. Because I didn't know how to map it on to my odd situation. And in a lot of ways, things most people learn when they're 10 or 12, because yeah. they're closer to a norm somewhere. Yeah. Um, a lot of those things I, I figured out for myself in my 20s and was like, oh shit, someone told me that and I was too dumb to hear it. That's so interesting, the thought of being so advanced in something. I don't know, I, like you're saying all this, I almost get this image of being on a race car through a city. And you'd like drive through a city and technically, yes, you saw everything, but then all of a sudden you come back and you take a walk through the city and you're like, oh, I didn't see this, I didn't see this. That's one layer of it. A different way I often think of it is most of the time, the best you can actually do in life, most of us don't understand what we're really doing. Most of us don't understand the impact of our actions and that's okay. Like no one walks into a house and says, oh good, I can put my floor there because the board is going to relay the force to this joint and it will be stabilized by those three nails there. Yes. And the joist is fine because it was wood dried in this way and it's been 80 years since that joist was put in, but the structure, you're not thinking about every line of force and occasion that makes it okay. Like you're like, there's a floor there, I can walk. And that's actually just fine. Yeah. But because I was intellectually gifted, I was like, you guys are saying just walk on the floor, but you don't even know how nails work. Like, yeah. you're, not, you're not a carpenter, much less a physicist. Yes. You know, how, why the fuck do you know how to tell me about floors? Yes. Well, because actually, people have been walking on floors for yes. a long time and it worked fine. And the shit everyone knew about walking floor, totally. walking on floors totally. works. Ow. And, I w- and like, I was the young kid who was like the idiot savant who was like, no, no, if you can't tell me all the details, you're just wrong and dumb. Yes. And the thing is... <laughs> Don't even some- get me start on the, like, the biological side of moving yeah, yeah, your yeah. legs to walk. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> and the thing is, sometimes that's incredibly helpful. That can drive you to deep structural insights other people don't have. But before you learn how to like wrangle that talent accurately, yeah. it mostly just makes your life really troublesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's all these facts you almost have to ignore. Right. Okay, so uh, here's a question. Um, what is, uh, when you talk about, uh, sometimes it's better to forget. It doesn't sound like you're someone who forgets things quickly. Not, not particularly well, no. Yeah. Uh, so you're at this point where these two sides are married, uh, you say, within you, and you, or you have an understanding. Is, was there a specific moment or something that happened that all of a sudden you were like, oh, I get it. Like, I need to slow myself down, at least around mere mortals. Um, that, that particular realization, now I wouldn't say there's a single point because many, many times in my life I would have said, oh yeah, this is when I got it. And then a couple years later, I'm like, oh, I need that lesson again in a different yeah. way. Oh, um, interesting. Well, and in one sense, we all always are learning how to bring, if, if we're trying to live vibrant lives, mm-hmm. we're all constantly learning how to f- what, what we really have within us and how to bring it to people to share. Yeah. Because I mean, in the end, like whatever you have in you is great, but like if you're not actually connecting to other humans, why? Yeah. Um, and because that's, that's the worthwhile thing in life. Yeah. Um, is building the world together. Um, yeah. Everyone has everyone. I've never met anyone who doesn't have good ideas if you know how to like make them open up. Yes. Um, and like, how do I learn to be that guy? And yeah. I and I come and go with it. There's context yeah, yeah. where I learn how to do it really well. Yeah. I'm good in small groups. I'm good in longer term relationships. 
and it's like it's particularly it's been one of the challenges for me as the company's grown yeah. as I'm in a as I'm in a higher and higher leadership position mm-hmm. as my encounters with people are shorter and in larger groups to not you know it's harder to find the patterns to lead that way like to to renew those patterns in new contexts mm-hmm. yeah oh that's so oh man <laughs> this is so brilliant. Uh, there's so many things, even just out of that, that I'm like, I'm curious about. So, number one, you believe there's something every. I mean, it's the reason you and I are sitting here is mm-hmm. our shared belief yes. that there's something you can learn from everybody oh, hell if yes. you know how to like, if you can just embrace them and not be. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We do so many things that shut people down yes. naturally, or just are not curious enough and have yes. asked questions. So there's something every you can learn from everybody. I love well, that. And people learn so much about how to shut themselves down. And often, mm-hmm. I mean. It's also tricky because often if you just ask people, like if you often just give people room to share, they'll either start with the thing they're most confident of, which is often the least interesting thing they have to say, mm. they'll, or they'll start where they're hurting. They'll start with aggression. They'll start with pain or they'll start with aggression. Not even that like they mean as aggression, but like, mm. you know, I mean, this is where we are with so much of politics. Like what has made me angry? What's made me mad? What's made me fearful? You know, mm. well, how am I going to bite, bite out at that? Um, or people who don't even realize that what they're showing you is their personal damage mm, okay. um, and like figuring out you know I mean it's, it's interesting like I, I one, of the, one of the things I was interested in is having seen what you're doing it's like oh this is a guy who's got like an interesting style of pulling out where people have to give and partly a little bit you're on the easy button when you're going after people who have had interesting successes because yeah. in the end you don't get to be successful at something unless you learn some of the lessons about how to nurture yourself about how to bring what you have to offer and so anyone who's yeah. su- quote unquote successful yeah. has some like has, is not just dwelling in their own pain yeah. but often they are if you know where to dig I mean, I know people I work with who are very wholly realized, who among, among like successful people I know, among business leaders I know, yeah. among, you know, researchers I know, some of them are very wholly realized persons doing big whole work, you know, who you could put them in therapy, yeah. like maybe they're in therapy, or yeah. you could drop in therapy and they know what to do with it right away. Yeah. And some of them are people who like instrumentalized themselves into their success and are kind of broken people in other parts of their lives. Yeah. And, and, like, and they use their success to add, just put up other walls. Right, like, right. Yeah. And, like, and that's where you see that pattern. Like, it's really easy to see if you get up close to a powerful person because the contrast is so stark. But like, the, the person behind the counter at the gas station it may have a pattern like that. Yeah. And often they do. Often the people you see who seem stuck in their lives, it's because... You know they're cornered in by these pressures, and and some of them, I mean, are very real pressures. It, this gets yeah. to the like the world gives generously to people who don't need it. Yeah. You know, it's anyone anyone who's like, well, if you just worked harder, you'd have what I have. Yeah. Like, has has not actually seen what it is to work two jobs, one of them, one or both of them, a hard physical labor, and come home dead to the world. Yeah. And have a family that depends on you. The, yeah. And a lot of business, a lot of businesses reward the hero. A lot of life rewards and recognizes the yes. hero when the, actually the person who's building building civilization is frequently the person who just built the thing so they could go home and pet their dog and like really engage with what happened in their kid's life yes. that day, have yes. like a real communicative evening Believe with their spouse. Work. Yes, um, there can it be a real wild spin here. Yeah, it's one of the things that I felt like was brilliant in Tolkien. Yeah. I mean, the Lord of the Rings. Then oh, yeah. it was one of the things that actually made me sad about the movies. The movies were faithful in a million ways, mm-hmm. but the core arc of Tolkien, the reason the hero is a hobbit, like what a hobbit's love. Hobbit's love 
gardening and hanging out at the pub. Yes. And playing with their kids. Yes. And the whole point of the arc was the world got so bad that those things weren't safe anymore. And so someone had to go do that. But the end of the, the like that final act of heroism in the trilogy is not they threw the ring into the mountain. The final act of the tri- heroism is they came home and they fucking made Hobbiton work again for yes. people to be able to hang out, raise their kids, hang out with their family and go to the pub. Yeah. Like that's the whole, the whole last the whole chunk movie, of yeah, the, the trilogy. The whole movie, movies like take out the, actually the whole antithesis is still back in the Shire right. that they have to go back and yes. deal with. And, and, like, t- like, and to me, like I, I looked at that and I'm like, yeah. when, when the extended edition came out, oh, maybe the cleansing of the Shire will be in yeah, that yeah. because that's, yeah. that's the moral heart. Like the moral heart of the, of the, that, that whole hero's journey in that, in those books is that it's a normal, that it's someone trying to make daily life work with the courages of a normal person. Yes. And it's not, you know, it's not the story of Aragorn born to be a king and a hero. It's the story of the fucking hobbit who wants to garden. Yes. But it, it, it's gotten so bad that he yeah. has to go. <laughs> yeah. And not in a dangerous path. And not in a, you know, John McClane diehard yeah. way, even. Yeah. You know, like that's where we've broken that story. Is John mm. McClane is a guy who's broken his family life because he just wants to be a hero. Yes. Um, you know, and that is, you know, that's a that's that's a story we value in America. Yeah, um, man, that ties into what you're saying with like the safety firewall yeah. stuff. I mean, it, it's not a flashy mm-hmm. thing. It's just the purpose is to keep things. If it works yeah. right, nothing changes. I almost in a way. I um, the way I look at it, like our job is to make the world better for builders and harder for parasites. And whether those builders are people building a business or building a nation, whether those parasites are criminals or foreign intelligence agencies, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, our job is to try to make, like, what we try to do in security is make it so that less effort is spent, like, stopping the parasites yes. and more effort is spent building reactive. something. Yeah. Okay, so I, I love... I love this idea. Well, first of all, I love Tolkien. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, you're talking my language. If you get into Lord of the Rings, I'll talk about that all night. Uh, man, are you saying you relate more with like the Frodo side, like the the Hobbit and the Shire? Like, I, w- I would love to live this life, but I can't. If I if I do nothing, someone I, needs you know, to step up. I would how do you say relate? that, and yeah. I don't know how true it is because okay. I've spent so long. It's interesting. In my early 30s, I was doing a better job of that than I am now. Yeah. You know, had a big friend group that I that that was really part of that it was really a core leg of okay um and that's not as true of my life today and my life today is a lot more work in my immediate family yeah there are a couple circumstances Mm. that play in there that i don't know how to judge myself really how much have i let myself get trapped in like the importance of my work Mm. and i say that because the the other big distraction was that um my best friend um, got a terminal brain disease uh. um, and a degenerative one and so like his life started to fall apart and no one knew why because it's one that's often diagnosed fairly late Okay. and it often gets mistaken for personality disorders for character problems yeah um, so all the, this guy's so, showing symptoms was, of it and he was one of the other core legs of the social group and that you know and it's one of those where I, you could, you could and, and it became tricky because as he lost some of the more complex levels of himself and the friend group started to fall apart, and and like there were people, and there were people who sort of started falling off the edges, mm. and I stuck with him, yeah, um, and the mm. and eventually 
we had a diagnosis and I became his guardian and conservator and yeah. I basically spent several years of my life along with his along with several close friends and and his second wife yeah sort of gentling the process of him eventually dying yeah and that and so on the one hand like that commitment to him I mean I'm it, I grew a lot doing it I'm glad I did it mm. I I would feel very different about the life I'd lived if I just dropped him on the floor of the system yeah um, but on the other hand I paid a very high cost for it and uh, the later stages of that happened while we were founding the company mm. and well one of the things that was going on in my life that is someone else's private matter as well so I'm just not going to talk about it no, but it also yeah. caused, pulled a lot of attention into a, into a single relationship and I mean when we founded the company I, yeah. I remember having the conversation like let's get level set here before we try to do this together like this is always going to be priority number three yeah. And like when you're founding a company, that's not what you want. Like one of your foundational employees <laughs> to say. I mean, the first response yeah. I got was like, "Wow, like what? Here's the situation I have. Here's yeah. these two other things that are happening in my life. They will always be more important. If they need my time, they're always going to get it. They're mm. going to get the absolute best of me, and the company is going to get what's left. Yeah. But also, like you've worked with it before, you've seen my output. Number three is pretty high up. Yeah, and I mean what's number left, three. What's left right. of me is probably going to be more than what's left, or the first attention of a lot of people. Well, and yeah. like they're not going to take any of my engineering effort. They're yeah. not going to take my intellectual effort. Yeah, yeah. You know, but like you're going to get what's left. Um, and it's I've actually spent a lot of the last couple of years since that trying to make room for my life again. Uh. And so I say that, and like often. I'll practically say to strangers, like if I end up talking about what I do, they're like, oh, that's really sexy. You must love your work. And I'm like, yeah. actually, no. I mean, I do. I love the people I work with. I love the problem. I love like the math I get to do. I love the work of being in a harness together with so many, so many smart, talented, principled people. Yeah. But I don't actually like the layers of it that sound fun and sexy, spy yeah. shit. Yeah. No, I'd rather be done with that. Yeah. And I'd rather I just have that, like a normal... And at a level, I yeah. mean it. And on the other hand, I've met myself. Like, I want to go do something else, but it's mm -hmm. not that I... It's In some ways, it's that I want to go do something on the builder side, not on the parasite fighting side. I want to make my next choice even more committed to... What happened when I said the company is number three Yeah. is that when situation one... When the other, the other two situations were both in the end, long, slow-burning crises that were going yeah. to resolve themselves. Yeah. And when they resolved themselves, I taught myself the company was number one. And actually, what I really needed to say was the important values of living my personal life and like being there for the people I love will always be number one. Yeah. And, and, and in a way, when I say it that way, I've done that too. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, for the closest people to me, mm -hmm. I'm always there. Yeah. Um, and for my for my partners, they win over work. And most of the time, they yep. don't need to. Yep. But if they do, they do, and they know it, and yep. I know it, and yep. work knows it. Yep. Interesting, man. I ah, uh, oh, that's so good. So, how do you? Oh man, I have like a billion questions uh, from all that. Um, okay, here's one from that. I, I have a problem with boundaries. I have a problem with boundaries because I think it comes from insecurity of and of. So, um, you talked about this is going to take first priority and you're number three or whatever yep. and so I think of all my priorities mm -hmm. and I have an insecurity of like if I, if I put up boundaries uh, healthy and firm and confident like you're saying yep. 
like they all all those sections will respect that and they'll flourish and be cool with that I, but I get insecure being like oh man I can't have boundaries I need to like I don't know be what everybody wants you to be and everything so I, have you always been good at I uh, haven't, setting those boundaries I haven't and I would also say some people will, st- will st- some people will be in your life before and after a transition like that and some people are depending on you to not have boundaries. Some people need to be able to drop from your will. Some people are relying on you for a codependent relationship, are relying on you to be able to lean on whatever they need. And some parts of your life will respect and some parts won't. And honestly, yeah. I had learned that lesson by the time I was 40. And the thing I knew by the time I was 40 wasn't just how to set boundaries, it was set them at the beginning. Because what I learned was the people who, when I say that right up front, will say, well, never mind, I need 100% commitment, are the yeah. people I are going to fight that boundary every step of the way yeah. who don't know what it's for in their own life, who don't know how to live that way. Yeah. And the people who, when you say that, they're like, oh, cool, this guy knows what he's about. No, I've got my own boundaries. I understand like, yours. Yeah. Yeah, great. I could work with that. Like, yeah. this is good. We've got our terms. Yeah. And like, in, in, a, in one sense, it's about, and it is about insecurity, or at least it was for me, and it may or may not be for you. Okay. But the way it was about insecurity for me when you don't set a boundary, when you're always available for someone to call on, that relationship feels very secure to you because the person needs you and they can, re- they can quote unquote rely on you. And you've, by, you have basically given yourself to that relationship, given yourself to that person's needs. Mm. And what you're getting out of it is the feeling that you're loved, that you're respected, that that relationship will stay there. And when you set boundaries, what you say is, in essence, here's my limits, and also I'm asking more out of you. You need to you need to be with me, not just because I'm always there to you to draw on. Yeah. You need to be here in this relationship, whether it's a business relationship, whether it's a social relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship. Yeah. You need to be here because we're doing something mutually together, because we're yeah. both getting something out of this, because you're yeah. bringing something to the table too. Yeah. And sometimes I'm going to be the strong one, and sometimes going to be the weak one. And maybe we'll learn that we're really good fit, and those boundaries will get more and more generous because we've learned that because I've learned and you've learned that we can trust each other. Yeah. That when I make my boundary over here, and I'll be there if you need it, that you won't just walk up to that wall and need, 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 need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you'll give too, and it becomes a gift economy, becomes shared generosity. And now we're yeah. starting to talk about the relationships that are, you know, healthy romantic relationships. Yeah, yeah. That are yeah. that are beautiful, you know, artistic relationships. Yeah. But like the thing is, it is very easy for people who don't who aren't seeing the dynamic I'm talking about yeah. to confuse hyper deep codependence for beautiful generosity. Oh, dude, that's so huge. <laughs> oh man. What I mean oh, by man, that is codependence, like, I love that. I cause I think that is I've totally masked yeah. That in my own life of being like codependent in situations, but I've, I've masked it myself by saying, yep. oh no, I'm just being super generous. I just, I'm just someone that well, gives, man. And I if the give. person isn't being generous back to you, yeah. if you aren't, and, and that's also uh, the thing, it's like yes. the, the experience of it being mutual yeah. is the experience that you're not always the confident, strong, giving one. Sometimes you're the humbled one who was, who didn't know how you were going to get through something mm. and someone came to you and was there for you in a way you didn't know how to be there for yourself. You didn't know what to do. And only through their grace of yeah. their love and their care for you and their generosity yeah. did you get through. And when you do that back and forth yeah. with someone, yeah. then you're in a mutual relationship. But it's one where sometimes you get to be strong and sometimes you are naked and vulnerable and weak. Yep. And that is much harder than codependency. Yes. 
Okay. So what is, if you had to give advice to someone mm-hmm. who is, they, they hear that, I hear that, and I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I struggle with that, and I want to be better at setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you said to yourself? Is there, was there like any sort of self-talk that you, like daily, said, no, I'm going to set, these are my boundaries. I'm, I'm reminding myself. Or In one any, sense, you're almost finding the structure of the advice. So I'm, I'm very cautious with advice. I okay. used to think I was a lot wiser. Okay. And I, man, if you want advice, find me 20 years ago. Okay, I'd yeah, give yeah. advice to anyone 20 years totally, ago. Totally, totally. <laughs> um, I had it all uh, figured out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try, I'll take a shot. Ooh, okay, well, let me... Uh, well, and what I was going to say is, like, yeah, yeah. You, you, you're on the track already when you're talking about self-talk, and you're talking about finding your bright lines. Okay. And really, the start for me yeah. was learning to ask myself that idea that I needed to be vulnerable mm-hmm. because often you'll see people who have healthy patterns hidden inside something that we've learned to think of as an unhealthy pattern. And an example is that like I could say one of the ways you need to look at it is, am I being vulnerable? Have I made it, have I made it such that am I getting something out of this? Mm-hmm. Am I holding myself accountable? Am I respecting myself enough? Yeah. To not just say, well, this person needs me, so even though this is taking a lot on me, I'll just be here over and over again. Mm-hmm. And like people who are vulnerable are also vulnerable to abuse. Um, you make yourself weak and open so that someone can support you, but that also means someone could hit you. Yes. And so like that's that's like it's about understanding the situation in the same way. Skin of the yes. cane can mean I want to hold you violently accountable in the wrong way. Yeah. Or it can mean I want to see that you really mean this and that you're going to be like with me in the shield wall when things times are tough. Yeah. You know. Um, and yes. so you like the, all. It's always, and that's why I think that's one of the reasons I get very cautious about advice because any glib sounding wise statement actually has that kind of subtlety behind it, and it's very hard. Like talking with someone one on one when you've when you've understood the real idea behind it. Yeah. You you work out the language that works for that person. Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you do another beer? That sounds fantastic. Okay. I think this beer is my love language. Uh, no, <laughs> so the, the, the so libertine good. is the libertine oh, is fantastic. The libertine. So if, if, if that's how you're reacting to that one, come sometime with someone else who loves beer and grab a bottle of the barrel aged. Okay. The barrel aged libertine is. Like, I don't know if you've done much with barrel-aged beers. I love, like, I love barrel-aged beers. So, like, you understand. It's like that, but, like, blown out into oh, another dimension. Yes. But it's that blown out into another yes. dimension. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, so great. Okay. Um, with these podcasts, I'm always trying to tie in points, which in normal life situations isn't super healthy to be like, okay, what is, like, the point of the thing I get from, like, all the things you're saying? Yeah. Um, I also love, but I want to balance that I'm with, like, just I'm curious why you think stories. that's not super helpful. I don't. Uh, or why I, that's not healthy in normal life? Well, I don't. I feel like doing that just would annoy the shit out of people. I think it could oh. be healthy, but it would annoy sure. people Sorry. if I'm trying I, to like. I, I do it inside myself all the yeah, time. Yes, me yes. Too. Making it happen in every uh, conversation yeah. will drive people crazy and be unhealthy because yes, exactly. you won't have relationships. Yeah, my wife but, yeah. is like, why can't you just like, just think about it normally? I'm like, no, I got to think about it deeply. Like, I overthink stuff. I so I love that. My, my, you, I'm, I'm laughing because one of my two partners relates to this kind of deep think. By like just okay, this is when I roll my eyes and whatever you want to yeah. deal philosophy. Yeah. Like, what's going to get the hay in? Yeah. And the other one is like, be like, oh yes, let's talk about the philosophy. Let's kill the end of the world. Yeah. 
and the thing is, like, it's the one who rolls her eyes who was my partner for 25 years. Oh, really? Because that counterbalance so? was necessary. And in some ways, if I only had a partner who did the one thing, yeah. I don't know if we would have just gone off the deep end. Yeah. And it's not even that the one who rolls her eyes doesn't live deeply. Yeah. It's just she's sort of like, okay, there's a bunch of words you can throw at that. Like, what does that actually mean? How is that affecting people? <laughs> and that's, you know, she's deep with the lived experience and paying attention to the reality of it and keeping everything tethered. Yes. Uh, man, that's interesting. So how do you balance between the two of those? How does that, uh, if you don't mind me asking, I know it's a personal mean, question. Mean, between how do, how do they interact? Is it the same? Because you, so, you have, you found the way between those. Um, how do they, they fit? If you, don't, if really? you don't mind me asking. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just so trying to figure, that, like that question barely scratches the surface. And I scratched the surface so much that I, I amazed myself on what I was about to say, right? When you like gave me permission to not say oh, it, yeah. relationships are magic. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, even two-person relationships are magic. Yeah. Even more so in some ways, the more they work. Yeah. Um, my first partner and I had like conceptually thought of ourselves as open to poly for a long time. Okay. But the stage in my life when I met the stage in our life when I met my other partner was one where honestly we were so busy with other things I would never have thought myself open to it yeah she had things in her life where she did not thought she was open to it so it seemed like so we both kind of missed the part of like setting the boundaries because we thought the boundaries were there automatically and stumbled mm -hmm. into the relationship yeah you just both assume like the boundaries are there. It's there's right, no right. there's Obviously, no way it's not, not gonna, timing. There's yeah. not going to be a romantic relationship here. It doesn't work for either one of us, so yeah. we're not worrying about it. Yeah. Like if I'd always thought of myself, if I'd thought of my my existing relationship as one that was meant to be exclusive. Okay. Um, then it wouldn't have even mattered or like the conflict would have been the normal conflict of yeah. oh well, now I have to choose and I know the kind of person I am I mean the choice yeah. would have been obvious as soon yeah. as I felt something I would have been shutting it down oh yeah because it would have been like no I'm not going to do that to the person I've, I've you know who's been so central to my life yes like, and instead like when the first moment like when the first hint happened or something was like oh well it's not going to matter on her side I can have this emotional experience it doesn't matter and when we realized something was happening we kind of hit a spot where we tried to proceed and then we realized it wasn't working for everyone. Okay. And in particular, it really wasn't working for my longtime partner. Mm -hmm. And like, no one wanted to threaten that. Um, yeah. You know, the even when we started our friendship, we, d yeah. we described, when, we, when our friendship got more serious, we described, we decided that the core phrase was be what we could to each other, respecting our other commitments to ourselves and in my case, to my partner. Mm. And that, like, those were firm boundaries. Like, nothing, yeah. nothing. And we, even as we started being more romantic, yeah. the rules we set were, first, like, nothing is allowed to threaten, like, my marriage. Yes. Second, nothing is allowed to threaten our long-term friendship, which yeah. was incredibly valuable to us. And whatever we can find room for within those rules, yeah. but, like, holding ourselves super fucking accountable, yes. clear-eyed, yeah. is allowed. Yeah. And for quite a while, that meant it was a friendship with like an edge of, you know, hey, there's something more here, but we're like, we've agreed to yeah. be careful about that. There was like the shadow of and, that. Yeah. And really it was, this happened fast, you know, because I hadn't, because I had been not realizing what's happening. I hadn't been telling my partner, hey, here, there's this virgin relationship. And so it no. kind of got sprung on her. Okay. And so she was like, there's all this other stuff happening in our lives. You have this yeah. new friend, whatever. I'm not going to get to know her. And so then it was like, wait, there's this stranger in our life? Yeah. And so 
they looked at it, and this was them being smart. We need to get to know each other. As as the three, yeah, totally. <laughs> and that was like part of it was like I I I say my two partners, and that brings a picture of a V, but that's not the relationship that exists. Yeah. And if that had been the relationship, we all would have said no to it. Yeah. And so it was partly like what we've got now is a V. That's not going to work for us. Yeah. Let's step back, and let them get to know each other. Yes. And they became friends, and they became close. And like you say, how does this work? What's weird is like. In one sense, there's a thing we all agree on, mm-hmm. which is that what's most important is how your living affects, like truly affects the people you're engaged with in mm-hmm. your life. Yeah. And we find different values and different tools there. But like, I could talk about two of us as being the ones who are like are more philosophical. Yeah. But if you want to get either of us mad, like do philosophy detached from like how it affects people. <laughs> like get yeah. lost in ideas and ideology, yeah. and like both of us are like you're doing it wrong. That's, like it's those people are first. those are, right. Those are those ah. are like those are levers about how do you be more moral? How do you be better to people? And if you're using them for something else, yeah, it's like it's it's like you took it's like you took your welder and went on a killing spree. <laughs> like that was a tool to build civilization, and you're fucking up with it. Yeah, totally. Um, like that's oh, not man. for burning down buildings, you yes. idiot. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And so, in that sense, like when when the other person's relationship to those kind of ideas is often, oh god, that's just the thing people burn down buildings with. I suppose every once in a while someone welds a girder, but yeah. like most people, most most like particularly most people's experience of philosophizing is like yeah. young young people doing it. And really, most people's experience of philosophizing is young men going on and on about it. Yeah. Because um, they're the ones who feel socially empowered at that age yeah. to bother. Yeah. And so, like, funny yeah. enough, young and, white men, like we right. said earlier. And similarly, like, most young men, if you give them an oxyacetylene torch, what they're going to do is cut shit that shouldn't be cut and burn shit that couldn't be burned. Yes. And so, like, if your basic reaction is you learned that, like, by and large, very few people can be trusted with oxyacetylene yes. torches, you're actually right. Yes. And as someone who loves oxyacetylene torches and is yes. a welder in my yes. metaphor, yes. yes, you are so right. <laughs> yeah. Most people should not be like, you shouldn't just hand out actually to sell yes. torches on the, on the street. Totally. And so in that sense, we're all totally agreed. Yeah. And like I say that, the surface aspect of these two people is in many ways very different. Mm. And when they first met, yeah. it was humbling for me because they were immediately connecting with each other and seeing some things about each other yeah. that like for the one I'd only known a couple of years, it was mildly humbling. The yeah. fact that she was on a wavelength sometimes with my, at that point, 20-year partner, yeah. that I was, that she could articulate things and see things immediately that, like, were for me, were very slowly gained skills that I wasn't as flexible with. Yes. It was this moment of, like, great humility, both in the sense of you think at that age, you think you know why you're choosing the people you're choosing, you think you know why you love people, you yeah. think you know, you think you understand them, and then you're like... Yeah, like apparently there's something that is <laughs> yeah. like what I need in someone yeah. that I don't even understand what it is that they both have that they can both connect on. And like, and you say, you like say, how do you make that work? And at one level, I'm trying to answer two questions. Like the question of how do you make the layering of like us having different opinions about the value of like philosophizing, the yeah. way we make it work is that we actually all agree. Yeah. Like we all agree about its place in the world. We yeah. disagree about how much it's a thing, tool we find useful day to day. And I mean, I think even there, my, my partner who's less inclined toward it would be like, I mean, I suppose, like, if you, I might, I might, if I squint funny, agree with that compromise, mostly I think you guys are crazy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, 
and yeah. so I shouldn't put words in her mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. The, um, and how we made the love of other layers of work was really being super patient and super careful and waiting until we got to a point where they had connected enough that they could start being open and vulnerable with each other about their fears, their challenges, and we could really say, and, and we had a couple hard conversations, just then they were hard and they were scary and they were being vulnerable about a lot of stuff and they were opening up the space that maybe these relationships weren't all gonna work. And when we were like, yeah, maybe we're gonna do this. Let's, let's actually try this. But like, I'm, not, I'm talking about a space of several years when we held things in a waiting pattern for the time to be right and for some things to grow. Um, and I mean, I say that, I mean, I'm happily and proudly and out in a poly relationship. And I like, I say that and I would, it's one of those things like, like live advice that makes me nervous to say, because I see a lot of poly that is like, wow, people with broken relationships sharing the, sharing the love in the sense of like sharing the brokenness. And I don't mean to like damn like all in your own brokenness is super brush, unique. Yeah, yeah. But like, particularly there's definitely a pattern of poly relationship that is like narcissistic abusive man finding multiple people to be abusive to yeah yeah um that's that's a horrible pattern in the in the quote-unquote poly world um and i mean that just makes me get all stabby it's do you feel like do you feel like that uh is there do you ever feel uh that that hesitation of feeling that people when you would tell someone that of the relationship that they would instantly have that mental image of you yeah. or are you well and it's and it's one I struggle with because like I I choose to be out just in general I choose to live very open and vulnerable to the world about a lot of things partly because it kind of maximizes my opportunity to find that moment when maybe I do have something to give someone and sometimes it maximizes my opportunity to accidentally give someone I did something I didn't even know I was giving. Because I'm just showing, I'm, I'm sharing a lot of things about myself that are things I've learned or experiences I've had that people often don't talk about. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've learned to, as I've gotten older, I've learned to negotiate with my partners because sometimes I'm sharing their lives too. Yeah. Um, but I say that, like, there are times when that's easier than others. And one of the challenges in this is that, like, certainly reaction that's there, it is awful, is, like, the class of people who react to this with, like, oh, player, got two women on the string. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, you know, you know, yeah. and it's like, dude, that is so not what this is. <laughs> totally. Um, the, and, you know, like, that... I, I in so the end make the choice that I've got more I've, I found some ways like if that happens in a conversation to disarm it and interrupt it and to complicate it yeah like and to present it in ways that mostly mean you're only going to take that from what I say if that's your damage yeah and if that's the oh. only possible thing you can see yeah. and if like and if I you know if I if I painted you a picture of a sun and you like took your bowl or your whole bar and took a little orange part out of the middle and said, dude, there's an orange here. Yeah, um, totally. You know, like if that's all you could hear of the more complex thing I said, a little bit that's on me. But honestly, like one of the things I struggled with was conversely, like I do live out loud. I do talk about these people in ways that like people who hear me, were going to go, wow, what's going on there? And I want yeah. it to be out there that what's going on there is not I'm having an affair. Like this other person, like this other person is someone who would choose to be 
the other woman yeah. and choose to be taking someone she didn't know or someone she knew and like yeah. making a lie out of their life. Like, I don't like that is like in some ways, one option was to try to be so closed in my emotional parents that you could see nothing. That's not who I am. That wasn't going to work. Another option was to like, just leave it there for people to see and make assumptions about that are even worse assumptions that are about me being an immoral person about about my second partner being an immoral person about my first partner being a fool um, or someone or over or trusting someone she shouldn't trust or blind to what's happening when none of those things are true and so the reality is complicated and i let it be complicated and i struggle with it because on the one hand even with all of that i can say that and it sounds like well that's an obvious choice it's the obvious choice when the wrong assumption is you're a player because for my partners, that's not the obvious assumption people make. Man. Because then, like, the assumptions someone makes of a woman in a poly relationship mm. are, like, you, you want to talk about, like, double standards? Oh, man. I cannot imagine. I can't even... I mean, I... I, I like to think of myself as an empathetic human being. Mm-hmm. But, man, like, that... You're talking about, especially from the female's perspective? Mm-hmm. No way could I understand with the double standards, like you're saying, that are yeah. in life. Man, uh... Yeah. And so, yeah. so like, the, the game I'm playing is a game, and this gets back to, like, the it's the easy button sometimes. Yeah. You know, if they wanted to try to do the same game, they would have to do it so much more artfully, so much more skillfully. And, like, when I fail, I have some guy who thinks I'm a player. When they fail, they have someone who thinks, like, one of several different awful things about them. And so they're a lot less out than I am. And that, that's changing as we get more comfortable, as we learn more ways to talk about it, as we learn more ways to show it. Um, but it's still, you know, it's something I'm super open about and something they're much more cautious about. And the biggest hitch I have in being open about it is that feeling of like, at some level, in some ways, I'm making the decision for them that's easy for me and hard for them. And that's something we talk about some. And I, yeah, I mean, this honestly this is an area that is I don't think that there's conflict in the relationship about it yeah. but it's one where they're not super comfortable with how I act and neither do they like neither do they want to pull the offered lever of just tell me and I will do the other thing yeah um, but like we're all trying to learn how to like and figure out what learn, this learning is how to make it work amongst ourselves is in some ways simpler because we're everything in place I was just going to say that than yeah. learning how to make it work with the world yes I was just going to say that's what I was thinking about of like now we're we've got we've got we've got this yeah uh, we talked about figured out now how do we get like this in comparison to the world figured out and yeah. talking about it I actually my being vulnerable is a healthier thing with my interaction I would also say you know the other the other thing that has been a learning in the relationship that echoes other things I've learned in the world is one, I sort of called up. You do the slow, hard work. You find the deep principles, and you will, you find the deep principles, and you stick with them mercilessly. Whether that is these are the right things to do, and if I can't find a way to make a living doing them, then I'll be poor. One of them is, and the thing is, when you say that and you don't really mean it, it sounds it, it's easy to think that it's really hard to find a way to live a moral life and make a living. When you actually hold yourself to it. You get creative, you get smart, you get wise, you find the yeah. challenges. And really, particularly when you actually say, if I'm going to call this a principle, I'm going to hold myself to it, yeah. you get really careful about crafting your principles. And I mean, that habit of thought over yeah. decades is why everything I say is so squirrely and yeah. multiplicative. Yeah, yeah. Because 
I don't have things I think are deeply meaningful unless they've held up under that weight for a long time. And the example here is like when we had the moment where we decided like let's actually make this work, one of the Again, this is one where two of us use this language and one of us rolls their eyes a little when I say it this yeah. way. Um, and this one's mostly me. I talk about it sometimes as there's seven relationships in play. So what? Seven relationships in play. Okay. There's um, one of those times when you're just like, oh, yes. great, it's a mathematician. Oh, um, shit. Okay. The, um, there's the relationship of the three of us. Yeah. Like how we are as a unit together. And like sometimes that's really in play. Like we we are in the middle of moving and watching us trade off who's like got the resources to deal with the challenge that just came up and who's resting resting in the sense of yeah I'm carrying boxes but I'm not making decisions right now and like do that. Like a thing you learn to do as a couple that we're learning to do with three of us and you're stronger. Like only one of you needs to have full executive function right now, as long as you all know how to be humble and as you learn to trade that ball and take input and so on. Um, and like, there's the other, like the next three relationships are obvious. It's each two-way relationship. Yeah. The tricky one is each two-way relationship with the third partner. And that's almost, and that relationship is asymmetric. It's how do I feel about the two of them as a couple? How do I feel about their friendship? How do I feel about the way they relate to each other? And also, how do they together relate to me? And the thing is, we thought, like, before we decided... I've never thought well, about... Well, actually, in okay. here, I'll come back to a different yeah, yeah. thing that you probably know as, as a partnered person. Commitments are magic. The yeah. moment when you actually turn around and say, this is what I'm doing, mm. and you shift from, yeah, this is good, yeah, I love this person, yeah, we're happy together, but you haven't quite said to yourself, I'm in it, mm. like this is, this is my life and I'm gonna make it work whatever happens. Yeah. Like that moment of commitment make, opens up a whole bunch of possibilities. And before we had that moment where, not that we're like a permanently committed relationship yet, we're, very, we're yeah. all very cautious about that. Yeah. I mean, we bought a house together, but we're not all the way there. Yeah, yeah. But like the moment when we committed to we're gonna try this relationship for real, before that, that third set of relationships seemed like it was work seemed like it was hard like it was a challenge you know am I jealous of the two of them like how do I deal with when the two of them both like see a problem with me and are you know pushing yeah. me on it yeah as we made the moment of commitment as we passed that that and it was not quite as instantaneous as I say it there were hints that oh, we yeah. didn't really understand in advance but now like that's one of the amazing layers of strength because if you think of it like the, 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 it's asymmetric, so you have to see it from two directions. But yeah. like if you think of the moment in your relationship, think of two moments in your relationship. A moment in your relationship where coming at it with the advantages of it from the partner side, from the pair side, yeah. the moment in your relationship where you are, like have something you guys need to work on, have something where you're challenged as a couple, maybe something that, you know, it's hard to see around where you just barely can like be stable with each other, so yeah. you're letting it sit until later. Before we had commitment, that was the moment where you can't quite do that because you have to keep each pairwise relationship healthy yeah. or the whole thing doesn't work. Yeah. But now, imagine that you've got that, but you've got the same best friend. And you've got, a, you've got another person who loves both of you, who cares about both of you, who's in both of your daily lives, yeah. who sees both of you clearly, who you trust, yeah. who can help poke that and help support that. Like, not just like the time your best friend helps you get over your issue and your side of your relationship, yeah, yeah. but you've got the same fucking best friend, as it were. 
I, I kind of feel like an ambassador here, except I'm an ambassador for something that's like takes a ton of hard work and that we sort of lucked into and even yeah. lucking into it it took incredible patience and yeah. work and even then we sort of lucked into it um, you know there were a lot of things that happened to make this possible for the three of us yeah. including your mental capacity uh, well, to like keep track of everything in your memory um, frankly they're both brilliant um, one of the things that make this work yeah. is that we all like complicated and part of it is we're all complicated people who had a lot of weirdly shaped experiences and damage. Um, and we all had to have complicated, hyper self-aware relationships with ourselves just yeah. to survive our own lives. Yeah. And I think the only way you can do what we're doing is hyper self-aware. And most people, like for most people, that would be like, wait, you're telling me that to have this incredibly strong, <laughs> futuristic, amazing treehouse, I need to be like worrying about where every fucking nail is every time I put my foot? That sounds maddening. Yeah. I'll stay in my happy two-person house. It sounds yes. great. Yeah. I For us, it's like, I'm already paying attention to where every nail is, <laughs> and with that, I can build this amazing thing? Cool. Yeah, totally. You know, it's, it's a, I mean, a phrase I love is the virtues of your vices, or the vices of your virtues. The fact that we all have to be so hyper self-aware. Yeah. Like, that's a that's a, a cost most people don't have to pay, and if you just treat it as a cost, and you what you try to buy with it is the same thing other people get in their lives, then it's just a cost. Yeah. If instead you say this is the, this is the way I am, this is who I am, this is what I bring to the world. Mm. What can I do with this? Yeah, okay. I have to be able to interact with the rest of the world, but like inside myself and inside my closest relationships, what can I do with this this unique thing that I am? What can I make from me that is different from someone else? That is that is my best self, that that brings to fruition what I bring to the world, and how can I make that blossom and give more to the world? Like, of course, that's not going to have the same solution for you that it has for me, because we're not the same people. Yeah, <laughs> that's so awesome, man. Um, it, it's like you're you're accidentally tying it all together from the beginning of this conversation of like this thought of. Um, you talked about your grades earlier. You talked mm -hmm. about your parents weren't, uh, they weren't gonna support you, just, oh, you got an A, whatever it yeah. is. But like, what are, what is it that you have that you can yeah. do? It's like, well, figure out, instead of like trying to figure out what the world needs and do it, figure out what you have to offer yeah. and figure out and realize you can use it for good or for like harmful. Are you gonna build or are you gonna be a parasite? Well, what is? What are you gonna use it for? It's also one of these things where, like many things that we've talked about, the difference between, like, there's a way in which I'm describing things that sound serendipitous and opportunistic, mm. but they require a ton of work to recognize the opportunities. Like, to find the serendipitous, opportunistic fit between what you have to bring to the world and what the world needs, you actually need to find a lot of things in yourself that maybe the world doesn't need, and you need to find a lot of things in the world that you can't offer. Yeah. And then find the fit. Whereas if yeah. you just want to say, like, oh, the world, I, the world is showing me, uh, the world is showing me a round hole. I'll just pound myself into it, whatever the fuck I am. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like that, that deforms you. Yeah. That that involves hitting yourself with a hammer, and a lot of people live life that way. Yeah. It's it tears you apart in some yeah. ways, and a lot of people often have cut themselves off. The, the, a lot of models people of adulthood are often like you're expansive when you're young and you're narrow when you're older because you because you learned what the world required of you. Yeah. yeah. And it's because you missed the moment when you needed to open up your perspective, be more humble and see more in the world. And I mean I say that. 
as people get older often, you'll see someone who pounded themselves into a little hole, got safe there and had room, and then they start doing the other thing. Yeah. You know, and in, you know, and, and they learned and they blossom more as they grow. Yeah. And I mean, that's often what kids do to people. You see a lot of people who narrow themselves in and either their marriage or their kids, something that draws their attention back into life and breaks their expectations causes them to find that world yeah. and causes them to realize, well, I've sort of seen a lot of things in my life and I can make a smarter choice now than I made then. Yeah. Um, but like that's that being opportunistic that way, it's kind of the same thing. Like, can you do that without being forced to do it, without having some of them break you into that? Well, and I mean, I, I, I sound like I did it that way, but I didn't. I did it that way because I was broken in other ways. Mm. And I mean, good God, I would not recommend my path to anyone. I made something of it. Yeah. I took the weird things those experiences gave me and yeah. built who I am. Yeah. But like, if I were going to say, hey, here's the tools you want in your shed <laughs> yeah. to build stuff from, yeah. I would be like, no, those tools suck. Yeah. You get those tools because, like, that's, that's a tool you get because, like, like was embedded in your chest and you pulled it out and you managed not to die. That's how you get that tool. Trust me, you don't want it. If you've got it, use it, but you don't want it. <laughs> you don't want to do what it takes to get this tool. Yeah. Trust me. It sucks. Oh, man. So, it sounds, okay, it just sounds like everything <laughs> you're saying is, like, maybe it's not that you can't get there without going through pain. Um, it's almost like don't assume other people didn't get there without working their asses off. Well, and don't assume that your pain means you can't get there. Oh, <laughs> that's so heavy. <laughs> don't assume that your pain means you can't get there. Oh. And kind of also look at oh. what your pain is giving you. You know, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, man, to be respectful of your time this evening, what here's here's a question for you yeah. to wrap this up. And all this, this is so oh man, you've made you made so many crazy awesome points. I'm just gonna be thinking about for a while. Uh, but one is, my question for you is, uh, what has your pain gotten you then? Um, it's interesting because in some ways that's less now. Mm. Somewhere. My pain dominated my life in my 20s. And I learned to do the work to start to be in the middle of the room rather than up against the wall. And now I'm much more in control of my life. And even there, like, I mean, early on we had a moment where I was kind of hinted at I'm unusually talented, but that's hard for me to talk about. Yeah. Like, that was something that would have ended the conversation almost until my late 30s. Really? Um, I, it was incredibly hard for me to deal with because it was so caught up in the, the sort of, if you don't save the world, you're a failure if you've got talents that you can't measure. And I, I picked that. I'm, I'm doing a bad job answering your question. No, you're doing a bro this brilliant. Part of oh, I'm saying it so because that's, like, that's a pain that lingered. Yes. Um, but what it, and in some ways, what my pain got me was one way to react to what my pain got me was patience and courage is the deepest answer and it took a while to get that yeah oh man yeah that is so heavy Hey guys, this is Rob with just a quick note before you head off into your week. I just wanted to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to any of you that have rated, commented, or subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. 
Also, thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and shared your stories of how these interviews or some of these conversations have impacted you, have inspired you. Man, that has been so awesome to hear. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact, and I'd love to hear your stories or any just questions you may have for me. Hey, while you're over there, if you want to check out show notes for this or any of the other interviews I've done or contact info for this guest or any of the others, head over to thecuriouspod.com for any of that. And also, I'm really pumped about this. We have a map right there on the front of the website that shows all the locations that these interviews and conversations have taken place. It's pretty cool. You can click on it. You can see where these have done. If you want to go visit them, if you've heard something you like and you want to go check it out for yourself, that's right there. Or you can just check it out at thecuriouspod.com slash map or just right there on the front of the website. I'll show. I'll show. Also, if you want to reach out to me on social media or follow me anywhere, pretty much everything online is the Rob Morgan at the Rob Morgan, whatever you, you, you know, the drill. All right. Enough of that nonsense. All this podcasting has made me thirsty. You know, (laughs) I am so pumped that I do not have to deal with sponsors for this podcast or else I'd have to tell you podcasting makes me thirsty and nothing quenches a podcast thirst whether you're listening, uh, interviewing, editing, recording, listening to something unrelated to a podcast. Nothing quenches a thirst like a Guinness. Hey Hofi, can I steal you for a second? Do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? I'd like to take a minute to thank Guinness because it truly is made of more. That's all. Alright. That's it. Thanks. Uh, I love that crap. All right. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Anything else? Thanks for being here. (laughs) Say the most random thing you can think of. Yell it. I got nothing. The only word I can think of is formaldehyde. (laughs) Perfect.